Welcome to the How to Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and we are so fortunate and blessed to have a repeat guest, Mr. Bill Psycholic. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back on. It's an honor. Thank you so much. But we just want to do an update on your amazing journey of running a marathon in all the national parks in the U.S. And when we first met, you were halfway through or somewhere in that, yeah. that range of running the parks. And it was just it honestly, it was just fascinating someone would take that on and leave a job. And, you know, if people want to hear more of that story, they certainly can go back and listen to that episode. But tell us kind of, let's say, I think that was probably early last year, right? Early last summer? Yeah, right, something I like so. that. I, uh, I don't remember where it was exactly, but I can give you an update. Um, yeah, tell us what's going on now. It's funny for, for the listeners that probably are used to, to health. They're probably going, why are we just talking to somebody who's running, you know, Chris Jobman's running marathons? Well, I'm also a vegan athlete. Right. <laughs> uh, so right now, um, um, the state of my project is, um, for the people that don't know, there are 59 U.S. national parks. And I have run uh, 51 marathons in 15 months in all of the national parks outside of Alaska. So there are um, national parks in the lower 48 states. There's one in the U.S. Virgin Islands. There are two in Hawaii, and there's one in the territory of American Samoa, which is a five-hour flight south of Honolulu. So it's like way out there in the Pacific. And, you know, at this point, I'm uh, now living in Denver. So I finished the 51 that I can get to easily, and I'm in a process of replenishing my bank account and planning Alaska. So the, the eight national parks in Alaska are going to be a logistical challenge. Uh, it's hard to get to. There are four of the national parks there. You need a bush plane just to get to, and they don't have established trails or roads. So getting the planning in place to do those is going to require a lot more um, money because the bush plane flights can be a thousand to 2000 a piece the logistics, I'd like to have other people with me for safety reasons. There is truly an animal danger there. And I'm not the best at this point at sort of off-trail navigation. Mm. So it might be nice to have sort of someone who's familiar with the wilderness as well. So that's, uh, that's where I am. Um, and uh, I'm settling into uh, being in one place for a little while, which has so, been, been, a, been, it's been a while. <laughs> Yeah, so we just got to go back a little bit, though, because you have some great pictures of you and your, it's a Subaru, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like so iconic. Can you tell us, I mean, tell these people, so you're living plant-based, you're eating whole foods, running a marathon often, and I mean, 51 yeah. in 15 months, how many is that average? Is that like averaging? It's, it's not quite one a week, but, but. if you look at the, the, the times in which I was actively on the project, so mm -hmm. I took a three-week break about midway through uh, to uh, help some friends who are out of town watch their, their home and their, their animals. And then I took a small break in between um, finishing the parks in the lower 48 and then going to Hawaii and American Samoa. So when I was actually on the project, it was basically one, one marathon a week. Wow. And okay. that, that includes the travel time and then spending time at the parks and taking pictures and going on day hikes and shorter runs. But, but uh, the average was one a week. So when you were actually doing that, I mean, how was your body coping? Oh, well, I, uh, uh, I'm funny enough that, you're, that we're talking now is I'm actually developing a presentation that I'm going to be giving at a local um, natural grocers, which is a, a natural grocery store chain. 
in Colorado about the, my nutrition and how I was able to handle running a marathon a week, living out of the back of my car and vegan. So people go, all right, how do you handle running a marathon a week? That's hard enough. You're living in your car and I didn't have extensive camp cooking gear or equipment. And, um, you know, I'm traveling around like that and I'm vegan. So that just kind of blows people's minds. Um, it's not that hard. And my body actually recovered really well. In fact, the last marathon that I ran, number 51, was in uh, Haleakala National Park in Hawaii. And I felt so good the next day that I ran six miles on sand. And then I ran every day the rest of that week that I was there, 53-mile week. Um, just, and I felt great. And this was just eating rice and beans and uh, lots of pineapple because I'm in Hawaii. And uh, that's it, it. My body reacts well. So tell us in a day of the life of you traveling, what would be it? You said rice and beans. So what would be like you wake up, you're eating this. Tell us kind of what your food consisted yeah, of. That's, that's a very good question. People are going to think it's funny. So one of the things that I talk about in, um, in when I do talk about my nutrition, particularly on the trip, is that you should always do the best you can. And sometimes you have um, uh, limitations that keep you from doing maybe something better than, um, than what you're doing now. And my limitations were living out of the back of my car, a lot of camping. Um, I did stay in hostels on occasion. I think probably in 15 months, I might have stayed in a hotel uh, three times, four times. It just wow. it wasn't, it wasn't in the budget. And then I would stay at people's homes when they would invite me in as, because they were excited about the running or they were excited about uh, the national park aspect of the project and, um, you know, limited cooking capability at campgrounds, um, you know, not hostels are a little uncomfortable sometimes to cook in uh, people's homes. I was always very mindful of not making a mess since generally I didn't know these people. They were, they were really opening up being generous to me and um, hotels, you got a microwave. That's about it. So a, a, typical, a typical day would be, and, and I don't mind eating things over and over again because A, I feel good, and B, they're easy. Um, breakfast was uh, overnight oatmeal, either in water or a plant-based milk with a little agave syrup and um, a banana or two. Sometimes I would add chia seeds. Um, sometimes if I ran out of oatmeal, I would just do chia seeds, so like an overnight chia seed pudding kind of thing, mm -hmm. and, and that was breakfast. And then lunch was what I call a salad sandwich. So I'd buy really good bread, uh, Dave's Killer Bread, Eureka, Ezekiel, some of the brands that, where the ingredients are actually uh, pronounceable. And uh, I would have uh, spinach and sometimes uh, onion, uh, tomatoes, um, and then just basically mash it into a, a sandwich and, and eat that. So I was getting my greens and some vegetables, um, uh, when I, uh, oh, I didn't, one other thing I didn't have on this trip was refrigeration. So I'm in a, uh, Subaru, not a RV. So that my refrigeration was a regular cooler that I would put ice in the bottom to keep things cool until I ran out of ice. And that would often happen because the national parks are not always near populated areas. And sometimes they don't even have little convenience stores, um, in the area. So when you run out of ice, if you're there, you're not going to drive an hour and a half just to go to a gas station to get ice. So you had to be mindful of what you bought. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I would do, um, uh, broccoli and, and hummus, 
Um, sometimes I would do canned beans for lunch. Um, uh, I like mustard, so I had to find a non-perishable condiment and mustard, it doesn't need to be refrigerated. And, um, and that was kind of a typical um, uh, lunch. And I, would, I eat a lot of fruit, so lots of bananas, apples, oranges and pears, again, fruit that doesn't, that doesn't need refrigeration and tends to last a little longer. Um, and then uh, this is really interesting for everybody to listen to. But my dinner was, um, and this is where people like look at me funny. Um, I would actually eat minute rice and canned <laughs> beans. And there's a reason for it, right? I, I, I needed the complex carbohydrate. I needed some sort of fuel, but I didn't have the ability to go and cook rice. I didn't have a rice cooker or I'm not going to get a pot on a fire and try and cook rice. That's painful. So I would have a Tupperware bowl. Had, I had a jet boil stove. I could boil water. I would make minute rice, <clears throat> canned beans, canned vegetables, um, and then uh, if sometimes salsa, sometimes uh, curry powder and mustard, like a mustard curry, which is super nice. Um, sometimes um, uh, rice wine vinegar, you know, just anything just to add a little flavor to it. And that was my dinner. And I was happy with that. And it, and it fuels you because it's giving you all of the sort of the basics that you need to, uh, to maintain yourself and perform at a high level. Uh, the minute rice always gets the, the dog look, right? People go, huh? Minute rice? Yeah. You know, it's not the best. It's be- making the best choice you can given your constraints and right. always trying to improve. So when I did have a way to cook, then I would cook brown rice. But when I didn't, I would do that. Um, and then, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, peanut butter and banana sandwiches. I ate probably four to eight bananas a day. When I could, when I had them in the car, carrots, apples, pears, nuts, seeds, and trail mix on occasion, and then once in a while a Cliff Bar or two. Yeah. Just because. Because <laughs> you, it, because you, pro- <laughs> yeah. So now that you are in a <clears throat> somewhat, you know, stable space, you're in one place. What do you eat now? What's different? <laughs> Is it the same thing? <laughs> oh, um. um <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Why change? It works. So the, probably the only big changes that I make is that I'll eat. I have an instant pot mm-hmm. now. So mm-hmm. I do uh, brown rice in that. Uh, I'll steam vegetables. Uh, I'll eat more just a straight up salad because I actually have bowls and <laughs> place to cut vegetables and things. And so the, the, the breakfast is about the same. Um, the lunch is more of salad, I, rice and beans. It's, it's very consistent. And I know for, for some people, they, um, the, this might be boring, but um, I, and I thought so too. I think it, it the, when I first transitioned to being vegan and sort of moved to more towards whole plant foods. But um, what I found is that I start to crave those things. Mm-hmm. and like, you want to have a salad and or like this morning actually I, I now I have a blender too so I was able to make a uh, a greens and fruit smoothie um, again couldn't do that on the road <clears throat> but um, uh, not not too much different and it just works so. you know it's funny because my um, we've been plant-based for six years and last night we went to an Indian restaurant because we love the curries mm-hmm. and the flavors and <clears throat> my husband had a vegetable curry and he goes you know, I just don't understand why anyone want to eat this. If they, even if they weren't plant-based, it's just yeah. so good. Right. He's like gobbling down this huge vegetable curry, right? And I was like, because your taste would change and you crave it. Like I love dal. Like I love mm. lentil dal. It is so good. And um, but you know, before I probably wouldn't have. Like I understand it is a craving. 
Yeah. Because your body's like, feed me more of that because that makes me feel good. And yeah. so I'm, I'm a little bit of a, of a, a lazy cook. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm only, I only cook for myself and I like to call myself more. I'm not really a chef or a cook. I'm an assembler. <laughs> so I will spend some time in it when I have a kitchen and I'll do some, some uh, chopping of vegetables and things. But when I, I'm a, uh, it's just my thing. It's like when I want to eat, I want to eat. I don't want to cook. Right. Oh, so I tend to eat a lot of raw, raw vegetables and salads, maybe lightly steamed, you know, because an instant pot can do it in three minutes. It's great. <laughs> and, uh, and I eat, um, rather than spend 45 minutes preparing something for myself. It just, uh, I just don't do it. And, uh, it's, I just use that as an example for people that you can eat simply and you can eat consistently a lot of the same things. And, it still fuel a high performance and good health. So mm-hmm. um, it's not as hard as people think. And wow. yet I don't do any math. I don't determine my, I'm, I'm going to do it for this presentation that I'm giving is I'm going to calculate my, my protein intake and, and amount given the foods that I'm eating. And uh, I've done it one time before for another presentation and it was way over what would be sort of average requirements for someone. And then even if you add on a little bit more for an athlete, I was just getting it. I wasn't even, Mm -hmm. not even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And recovering fast, running, you know, marathon a week. uh, It's not as hard. It doesn't take as much effort as you think. And do you mind asking your age because you're not in your 20s? No, no, I'm not. I'm 46. Yeah. So Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a spring chicken. And hey, Okay. So I'm 47. Don't be talking oh. spring chicken. We're spring chickens. We are. Right? We, well, we feel like it. We feel like spring chickens. Yeah. So <laughs> no, my kids are, you know, what we were talking earlier, how, you know, I explained to people how I have adult children, right? They're all, my youngest will be 20 in October. And I just like, they look at me like, how can you have kids and you're yeah. still active and healthy as like um, plants? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it sounds silly. And, and I didn't believe a lot of the, the <sighs> that came along with it until I experienced it myself. And I mm. just try to encourage people that if they're interested, truly, um, at least give it a shot for a month or so and pay attention to how you feel. Yeah. Um, you just feel better. You know what I do, you know, I, I, that's exactly what I say. It's like, be open to the possibility of being better than you feel now. I mean, even if you feel pretty good, I think there's even, you don't, you think that's your status quo. Maybe you think that it's normal to be tired after work, or maybe you think it's normal to just want to sit on the couch after you drive home or, you know, or feel stressed, but actually, no, that's really, your body's pretty resilient. So I tell people, you know, give yourself the opportunity, but then what's funny is, they forget. So I've had, I learned very quickly in medicine when people transition the diet there, they forget about, I'm, you know, for when they come see me as a, as a doc in the office, I'm t- documenting all their complaints. So when they come back in a month, they're like, yeah, I feel pretty good. Not so much different. It's like, really? Are yeah. you still having those headaches and those GIFs? And they're like, oh yeah, I that's forgot right. about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's all gone. So I do encourage people exactly what you're saying. Journal at least what your symptoms are. I used to quantify it like where they'd have we go through multi-systems like their respiratory system, their musculoskeletal system, their GI, exactly <laughs> neurosymptoms. And what we do is we'd write down and then we'd actually, how many times per week are you getting? And we'd add that up and just kind of give it a, a, a quantified number. And then we'd do it again 
and we see this huge drop and um pretty amazing people think that food is so simple but it's not going to help you like yes it will it's so much more complex than we realize it it, is yeah the results of of the of eating food is complex but the actual food that you eat doesn't have to be be complex you don't have to have goji berries every day people go oh you're vegan that means you must be gluten-free i'm like no i eat bread all the time like it's it's not that it's not that hard and and um people until and the one thing with with being an athlete and and i don't know if you if you treat too many athletes that come in um but the recovery time is so much shorter Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. as a as a non-athletic person you might not notice that you may say that well my knees don't hurt as much or my back doesn't hurt as much or mm-hmm. hey after after working in the garden for a few hours usually i'd have to sit on the couch the next day and i don't and that's like what i experienced which was it used to take me days to recover from a marathon and now it takes me half a day a day mm-hmm. or at the most mm-hmm. and i attribute that all to my diet because i didn't change anything else I didn't change the running routine. I didn't change the training. I just changed what I ate. That's incredible. So you were a runner before you started this quest? Yeah, I was. I, but I was a, quote, late bloomer. I didn't start running until I was 33. Hmm. So it wasn't, uh, I wasn't a high school runner. I wasn't a college runner. I didn't play any sports that required a lot of running or endurance running specifically. Mm-hmm. And at 33, I was living in Detroit, and I wasn't, I was probably 20 pounds heavier, 20, 25 pounds heavier than I am now. And I just said, you know, I want to get in better shape. Let me try this running thing again. And I had kind of half-heartedly tried it in the past and just hated it. Just, Mm -hmm. I'm not a runner, right? Just that, people say that all the time and it came out of my mouth plenty. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, you know what? If Oprah can run a marathon, (laughs) I sure as hell can run a marathon. And I uh, love Oprah. That's awesome. Which is a, and she obviously inspired me to do it. And um, I thought I would check it off the bucket list. You know, mm-hmm. a list of run a marathon. It just seemed so hard and mm-hmm. so out there and so, so not in my realm of the people who I, who I associated with or mm-hmm. anything. But let me check it off the list. I'll just do it. And I did it and got hooked. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now I've done... Uh, I've done up to 50 mile distance and I've done a 50, bunch of 50 kilometers, which is 31 miles. And then obviously I did this project to this point, which was 26.2 miles at least once a week for roughly 51, 15 months. Is there anyone else that's run that many marathons in that short of time? Oh yeah. So when, when I was thinking about this project, um, and I have a, I'm working on a, a, a speech about possibility and how to embrace possibility and in, incorporate it more in your life to help facilitate change and get where you want to go. Um, when I started thinking about this, I knew it was possible. Like I knew, cause there are many, many other uh, examples of just normal people doing extraordinary feats of endurance activities. That could be a regular people who, who regularly run in um, ultra marathons hundred mile races there, believe this or not, there are now 200 mile races out in California. Like at at one time without stopping. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, you, you can do anything that the, the one misnomer about ultra marathon races is that you can do anything you want during uh, the race 
as long as you get to certain points by cutoffs. So they have time cutoffs. Mm. So if, if you want to start a hundred mile race by taking a two hour nap, by all means you can, as long as you make it to the next checkpoint before that cutoff time. Mm. So in the 200 mile races, um, people start actually uh, sleep a little bit um, mm -hmm. periodically, but it is still one effort. You know, it's wow. not, it's, uh, it, it does take a while, but um, yeah, no, I knew that the running was possible. What I, and, and I knew I was already a marathoner to by that point. So I had a number of races under my belt, but you know, could I do one a week? Let's find out. Wow. I knew my nutrition would support me. <laughs> uh, How long had you been uh, plant-based at that point? Uh, five or six years, maybe. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so you've been plant-based since in your, in your 20s? No, five or six. Oh, since starting this project? Yeah. Oh, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. So, so about so when I was 40 or so. 40-ish, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. And, and I wasn't probably the best vegan at early on. I ate lots yeah. of the, the vegan sausages and processed meats and things. And that's a great way to transition. Mm -hmm. um, but the more I would intro introduce in just whole, food, whole foods to sort of ver uh, to get a variety, the more I wanted them. It's just, mm -hmm. it was just weird. Like I'd be running and go, you know, I want a kale salad right now. <laughs> and that may sound weird to people, but when you experience it and then you go and eat it and you recognize how good you feel, you know, hey, that's, that's my body talking the language that it understands and it wants. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, uh, it's happened before. You're addicted to you kale addict. Uh, no, I actually like bananas. I'm a banana addict. Do you already had two this morning? <laughs> bananas. <Yeah>. Sometimes <laughs> I do six to eight a day. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. So tell us, what is your running schedule now that you're kind of off? park season off the parks yeah it's it's not park season <laughs> uh i have a, a 50 kilometer race scheduled in april end of april that's uh i don't know if you know sid garza hillman he's uh, mm. a plant-based um podcaster and writer and speaker and uh he runs a race out there in mendocino california that's right on the coast so oh, you wow. spend you spend time running along the cliffs uh, in Mendocino, and then you cut back into sort of like a redwood forest. And Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really pretty course. So I'm doing that in April. And during the week, um, 30 to 50 miles, somewhere in there. It varies week to week. And, um, well, it has been. Now I'm, I'm more of on, on an actual training plan to get ready for that. But uh, I've been trying to give my feet some rest. I have uh, plantar fasciitis in both feet. Hmm. so um it hurts <laughs> to run yeah and yeah. uh it's it's much better now it hasn't gone away but it's much better now did you develop that when you were running the other races um, um i had it in the past uh quite a lot, number of years ago and it went away and then it just came back during hmm. the trip and uh, um yeah it's manageable like you learn to if you've set yourself a goal and it's not debilitating injury or it's not a debilitating um uh, issue mm -hmm. or you work with it right yeah. I would do stretches and and rolling my calves and I uh, slept in a night boot and you just you when you've set a goal you go all right well this is something that's challenging that goal is it going to keep me from doing it in the time frame that I want to do it no because I can manage it and you just work your way through it cool so, I mean sleeping in a tent with a night boot and a sleeping bag is kind of <laughs> 
<laughs> it's kind of awkward, but doable. I did it. You do it. Yeah. <laughs> you do it. So when is your, do you have a, an idea of what time you'll be or when you might be able to do the last eight? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. The, I was, I'm, I'm estimating that if I run mm-hmm. one a week, so that's eight weeks, two months of time, probably two weeks on the front and the back end just to, for travel time and to, to see Alaska. So let's assume it's a three-month project, um, three months worth of time. And um, you have to, you can only go in the summer because <laughs> it's Alaska. So you're limited in the, uh, the, the time of year you can go. And because of the bush plane flights, the cost to get there, the ferry to get my car up there, the cost of food and fuel, everything's more expensive in Alaska. Those three months may cost me um, a half to three quarters of the amount it cost me for an entire year in the lower 48 states. Wow. It's, wow. it's very expensive. And there's all sorts of ways that I could probably decrease that a bit, but um, it's still going to be a lot. And since I haven't had a job in 18 months, um, I'm working down on the, the low end of the savings. So the best case scenario, uh, and I, I did get a job, so I should be starting in a, in a, in a week or two. Um, best case scenario is I may, hope, hope my boss is not listening, I may be able to work remotely in Anchorage. Uh, so I can maybe go up there, work in Anchorage where they have good internet connection, um, go to a park, do the run, come back and continue to work. Uh, so that would be this summer, 2018. And then the, the, the next um, window would be summer 2019. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's the more I'm learning about the parks and the logistics and coordinating and getting people together. 2018 is possible because I say nothing is impossible, but it's going to be a logistic, logistical challenge. And uh, uh, we'll see if I can make it happen or not. But cool. 2019. So if you're listening and you're a runner, or if you're listening and you're not a runner and just want to come for a, an Alaskan holiday, you don't have to come for three months. Everybody goes, I can't take three months off. A, yes, you can if you want to. But <laughs> B, don't. Take two weeks and come up and pick two of the parks that you really want to see and come either run with me or come help and, and do some day hikes. Be the camp, you know, because when the bush planes drop you off, they don't wait. They leave. So you're left there. You have to have all your provisions and your bear-proof canisters and everything for however many days it takes them to come back. And it could be however you schedule it, like maybe say two or three days. Or if there's a weather problem, thunderstorm, rain, you know, then they can't come back. You have to sustain yourself for however long you, know, you could be there. Yeah. And uh, that's a different kind of experience than what I've had to do in the lower 48. So right. more planning involved there. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. More, m- lots more bear spray. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Having been through Yellowstone, all <clears throat> tried all through there. You, you definitely making sounds. Yeah. Singing. Well, spray it's, it's a it's i think i'm not sure if they have grizzlies in yellowstone they might be back. yes they do they i've do. seen them oh yes yeah. there's a they're very different from the black bears <laughs> yeah. well, they have lots of them in alaska and they don't yeah. they don't always react to the singing and the dancing and the, all that right they, they just kind of go wait a minute you're in my home i might eat you yeah i might no. <laughs> I, yeah 
that's very possible. Yeah, no, we carry the bear spray for sure. Yeah. Highly recommend it. But even the bison are scary, man. Those guys yeah. can kill you too. <clears throat> I had to dodge bison in several parks while oh. I was out running. Oh my you know, goodness. They're just yeah. in the way and you have to go around. Yeah, or... talk about, so how, how many miles is that? What's 26? What is that now? Have you 26, done the math? Well, um, uh, there's a statistics page on my website. So if you go to runningtheparks.com, and you click on the statistics page, I've got every park that I've run, the distance that I've run in every park, because it was always more than 26.2 miles, the amount of elevation, the amount of descent, and a rough estimate of the number of calories burned. Oh my goodness. So all 51 are out there. If you're interested, there's also a way to um, go to the GPS record for the run. So if you're interested in following the route that I took or mapping out your own route or just seeing where there are nice hiking trails, uh, that's there as well. So I know the total is a thousand something or other. Well, 26.2, just plain 20 is 13.36. Yeah, there you go. So you've got to come across a lot of interesting animals. What? <laughs> well, tell us, do you have any fun stories? Uh, Rattlesnakes yeah. or besides? Uh, funny. Uh, I went 40, nah, 47 parks before I... I um, I'd seen one snake in 47 parks. And then I think the 48th park, I saw three. Oh, wow. So wow. all of a sudden they were out. Yeah. Um, and uh, I only almost stepped on one. Mm, only once. Only once. <laughs> uh, so snakes weren't so bad. Um, your, your typical kind of elk and deer and, and uh, a lot of ground grouse, like the grouse mm. birds, mm -hmm. they, they scare me more than anything else. Not like I'm afraid of the bird, but what it, it does is it kind of hangs out right close to the trail and um, it acts as a decoy to lure you away from its nest or from mm. where it might have babies. So I'm running along and the bird's right next to the trail and all of a sudden sort of flaps up and starts yeah. running. And I'm like, Oh, gee, just, you know, like damn bird. Um, so, and that happened several times. So you'd think after the first time I would have learned, but uh, no. Well, it's a sudden movement and it, is. And it was right, successful. It's wasn't right it? next to you. It's not like a buffalo out in the field. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it was successful in its mission, right? Is yeah. it keep you away? It's like, yeah. okay, I'm going, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very cool. So was there anything as far as hydration, like when you were running all this way, did you carry water with you on a pack or what did you use? What type of tools? Uh, for when I'm doing the runs, I would um, not rely on water sources out in the parks because you don't always know if they're available and it takes a lot of time to filter water. Mm -hmm. So I do have a nice uh, Sawyer water filter that I would take on occasion, but normally I would take four liters of water with me. So I have a three liter hydration bladder and then two uh, bottles mm -hmm. and the, the, the three liters would be straight water and the bottles would have some sort of um, electrolyte drink in them. And then I would also take, if it was hot, uh, electrolyte tablets mm -hmm. to, to help balance the, the electrolyte intake. There were a few parks where I, I would have said I was dehydrated mm -hmm. um, by the time I got to the end because of the weather. Uh, Grand Canyon was one of those, Big Bend National Park, Guadalupe Mountains was hot, um, and, uh, but nothing, again, nothing debilitating, nothing mm -hmm. that caused any damage. Uh, and then when I'm actually running my nutrition, if I go anything longer than 26 miles, I'll take real food. 
So peanut butter and, or almond butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, I like dates, you know, solid, solid foods. But on, on the marathons to save weight and just for ease of use, I would just do the running gels. So the, the, the basically the glu- glucose sludge. Yeah. The yeah. They seem yeah. to work. They seem to work fine. Um, uh, bananas. If I, if I uh, had a course where um, there were a couple of courses where I had to do loops, I couldn't do one big 26.2 mile loop or I didn't do a 13 mile straight out and straight back. I had to do um, a 13 mile loop uh, in a couple parks so that always get me back to my car. Mm. I would be able to get sort of refuel a little bit there. I'd stop, grab some bananas, you know, maybe eat a piece of bread or two and then continue on running. But gotcha. while I'm out in the, in the wilderness, it's backpack, lots of water, uh, gels, safety gear, first aid kit, bear spray, if necessary, uh, emergency bivy. Um, uh, I did have, I do have an uh, emergency GPS safety beacon. Mm-hmm. So if you're out and you get injured, it can send messages to either predetermined email or text messages, or it can actually facilitate your rescue. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, and 75% of the time I was on my own mm-hmm. and I had gone plenty of time in the national parks and gone an entire 26.2 mile loop and not seen anyone. Wow. So if you're interested in really getting out into nature you don't have to limit yourself to to our national parks, but they are an excellent way to really be in a place that's designated protected and not to be developed and left as it is. So other than the hiking trail you're on walking out there, um, you're by yourself and you're part of nature. And it just makes you feel so it relaxes you and gives you energy at the same time. So that's tell it. us, because I think that's really important, right? Because I think people miss... Uh, or maybe they just take it for granted what we have literally outside our doorstep, regardless of where you live, there's beauty, natural beauty. Um, I mean, I grew up in the desert, but it was still incredible sunsets and, you know, Mm -hmm. sunrise is still, it's just still a fascinating ecosystem wherever you are. So what do you think is the one thing that you've learned maybe about yourself or just nature in general that just really pulls you to continue the quest? Um, I, I learned that it was more important than I thought it was. What so do you mean? I lived, well, I lived in New York City for the five years prior to doing this project. Okay. And um, I was never like an ex- I was not an experienced outdoorsman. Like our family didn't go camping. I wasn't a big sort of camping person before this project. But I I realized that um, in the last two years of New York that I just missed green space and getting outside. So. When I would go visit my brothers in Pennsylvania, they lived near some wooded areas and I'd go for trail runs there and I would just feel really great. And this is like a county park in Pennsylvania. Nothing, no big national park, just your local, your local green space. And I'd feel so good about it. And then I'd get back to New York and I would look for parks and gardens and, and, uh, I just realized that this was something that made me feel good and I needed mm-hmm. more exposure to it. And as I got it in the, in the national parks, um, I just realized that that's, that does make me feel better. And even now, so I'm in, in the Denver area and uh, was doing a lot of interviewing for a job, got the job and a lot of it's going to be doing remote work. So 
I'll interact with people over over uh, video conferencing. I will have some in-person meetings, but a lot of it will be um, from from home or from co-working spaces. So what I actually have to do is remember to get myself outside into nature because you can mm -hmm. still, even when it's close by, get caught up in, ah, I don't need to go for a hike or a run or a walk, or I can do it on the road. But just when you're out in, in the in your backyard, even if you have a yard with trees and green grass, just how much better you feel. Like, mm -hmm. I just have um, more, it said you, it relaxes you, it calms you and gives you energy at the same time. And it's an interesting dichotomy there where, but I didn't really believe it until it really, I really spent that kind of time doing this project. You know, it's funny because I feel like it rejuvenates your soul right? Yeah. Which it can explain that calming and rejuvenation and energizing at the same time. But I remember as a child um, where I grew up in the small Eastern New Mexico town, the night lights, the, the mm. stars were so incredible. And I recall, remember spending many an hour staring up mm. and just looking at the stars and just thinking how vast and incredible a world that we live in and just beyond us, right? And we were talking a little bit about that because um, I had mentioned seeing the Grand Canyon with my son recently and how majestic. And it's just, it's so large. It doesn't mm. seem real. Like it's like a mirage in front of you. Like really that's there. Um, but you had mentioned an interesting thought you had about taking two individuals to the rim of the canyon at the same time. What was that about? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a couple of, of interesting things about the Grand Canyon. Um, the, the one thought that I had, even, even before I had done the run there, was that uh, I believe the Grand Canyon is a good example. If you took two people that hated each other for whatever reason, whether that's uh, Hatfields and McCoys fighting families or if it's a racial thing or religion or whatever reason, <clears throat> and you walk them at the same time up to the rim of the Grand Canyon and you let them just look at the vista, for that moment, they don't hate anything. They don't hate each other. They don't hate uh, the world. They're not fighting internally. They're just marveling at this grand vista and this amazing place. And that's the start. Because even if it doesn't last long, it's the start. You know, they're not, they're standing right next to the person that they quote hate, but there's none of that. It, I just don't think you can when you're looking at something that amazing. And that doesn't have to, again, doesn't have to be the Grand Canyon. It could be just your, your, a, a natural space somewhere near you. But those kinds of really large, impactful, natural spaces and beautiful places have that kind of effect. That's, that's my belief. And I don't know. I think it's true. So the next presidential debate needs to be at the rim of the Grand Canyon. It does. <laughs> it so does. You know, but it makes sense, right? Because what fuels hate is... Um, uncertainty and not knowing someone, it's the differences, right? With the misunderstandings or misconceptions. But when you're coming here, there's that one commonality for however brief a moment like you're describing mm -hmm. so that we can understand is like, wow, actually they're human. They're mm -hmm. not the Republican or a Democrat or whatever, whatever. It's mm -hmm. like, no, actually we, we all have a common root and that's just being human and humanity. So, yeah. um, for me, it's yeah. it's a spiritual side of things too. I just have a, you know believe that the big man upstairs creates some amazing things, but that's my thoughts. But it's, again, it's something that you you share. It's like wow, okay. That sense of awe. It's that yeah, sense of it is of, it is of your size in the grand scheme of things. And <laughs> yeah, and I just think it just it does change you the way you're thinking about it. And 
Uh, you said you were there. So when I ran the Grand Canyon and um, I did rim to rim, mm -hmm. and when you look at the Grand Canyon and, and you maybe had that, just think about it since you were just there and for anybody listening who's seen the Grand Canyon or even pictures, you can't see the other rim. No. Like it's literally only 27, 28 miles away. So it's not that far in grand scheme of things, but you can't see it. And it just looks so vast. And like all of a sudden I'm going to go down into that and hope I come up somewhere else. And right. it just, it was, it was a, it blew my mind to, to think that I was doing it. Again, I knew it was possible because it's actually a regular trek that a lot of hikers and backpackers and runners do. But when you're dropping into that canyon, you're just going, man, this is, I hope I come out of this. <laughs> well, and I like the idea, you know, when you, it's humbling. And yeah. it reminds us we are where we are in the grand scheme of things. But what's interesting is collectively, as a species, as humans, we have such an um, effect on our world, right? That goes back to the environment protecting our national parks, which I know you're obviously very um, mm -hmm. fueled your passion. But what's interesting was you also want to do something else, right? So you want to help people kind of in a coaching sense, move into greater, doing greater things, right? To understand that there are challenges, but don't ever deny the opportunity to take it on. So can you describe what your hopes and thoughts are about doing that? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. I, um, one of the things that, I, that I'd like to take out of this experience and um, help people with is the whole idea of the possibility of change and specifically how to, to use experiences to uh, help facilitate that. So I'm in the, in the process of, of working a, a, a on my side, uh, speaking um, speeches, speaking engagements, and my uh, coaching to, do, to become a, what I call a life experience coach. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like a life coach, which helps people sort of do through, go through transitions or get out of ruts. But what I want to try and incorporate into the, the whole process is the idea of, of experience. And it doesn't have to be this massive, I'm going to sail around the world, I'm going to bike across the U.S., I'm going to run a marathon in all 59 national parks. It surely could be because that's a huge uh, opening to possibility. But it should start small and work, actually do things that help get you to a different place that you're more, more comfortable with professionally, personally, physically, whatever your, your particular goals are, but um, not just sort of writing out a plan and, and doing it, but, but including experiences that help you grow. But I mean, our experience is what life's about, right? So, you know, it's funny, we, when you raise kids, so I have three, when they're little, cause you know, I grew up without a whole lot of stuff. And so you're always thinking when you have some type of means that you, they should have stuff. Right. Yeah. And we've talked about, I, I think we both understand the minimalist. Uh, mm -hmm. I love it so much. So yeah. anyway, um, that whole thought is that we don't need things. We need experiences. Right. So yeah. the last two years we've not done any Christmas presents. So, um, you know, the traditional gift giving of things that people don't need, they already have everything. You're just spending your money needlessly. Right. So what we did, um, the first Christmas when we, when the kids came home, um, we actually went, you know, we had thoughts of going scuba diving in Key West cause we we're in Florida at that time. Mm. We, it was a little too rough water. We did go snorkeling and what a mm. great time. Right. So that was the experience. So this year, um, 
it's a little bit different in transition. So we're going to go to Canada in March and, you know, see the cool stuff there. So there's, that's what exactly, but it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be anything. Mm -hmm. It could be just the experience. Like we, when they were here for Christmas, we literally played every kind of board game you can Mm -hmm. imagine. We had table tennis and took the dining table and made it into um, you know, literally ping That's pong awesome. matches. We had it on the floor. You know, we had all that, but this is all these, <laughs> these yeah. five people. What a great time. We'll never forget the Christmas that we played ping pong on the ground. You know, these are yeah. the type, seriously typed out borders, the little, you know, the tabletop yeah. tennis. It's pretty cool, but yeah, yeah exactly. You're right. You're those experiences now become so much more valuable than anything I could have given as a gift. Yeah, and, and it allows you to grow. So the it gives you the it opens the idea to possibility, opens your mindset to to. So my thing is that if you work on the mindset and open it to possibility, and it leads to an experience which then leads to your growth, which opens your mind again. So if you can get into that spiral, that's a growth spiral that's going to improve your your overall life and open you to possibility. So the the example that you gave was oh well we could never have Christmas without presents that's just weird or what, you know, and even that phrase, I, we could never, I could never, or that's not right. Well, once you've done it, you're like, well, that's, that's actually pretty exciting. And that gives you the opportunity. Well, what other things could I change mm-hmm. in my life that are typical experiences that uh, may not, maybe I'm just caught in a rut or maybe that I want to change, but don't know how, or have never thought to change. Like you don't have to have candy at Easter, right? You don't have to have an Easter basket. You know, you could do something else. And uh, just a couple of, you know, holiday examples there. But then you start thinking of what else could, is possible. And mm-hmm. that leads to growth, not only from for you, but in this case, for your family. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny because even traditionally when they were little, I kind of already had this rumbling around in my brain anyway. I was like, you know, for the Easter bunny to show and they have the eggs, it's just kind of the same boring. You're looking for eggs mm-hmm. and they get older so what I would do is create like a, um, what do they call it? When you have little, little clues and it leads you to the next clue. Mm-hmm. What's it called? It's called a, uh, scavenger hunt. Yeah. Scavenger <laughs> hunt. <laughs> love me. And at the end would be, you know, their, their baskets and stuff, but it was really fun. It was way more fun for them to yeah. go running through places and finding the next clue, trying to figure out, <laughs> no, I know what it is. This is, you know, and that was so much more fun for me than <laughs> them just saying, Oh, great. More candy. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> you know, but but that's that really is true, and I think you're exactly right. That's what nature's doing, right? So nature is so impossible as to figure out. Wow, that is so incredible. So of course it's going to open you up to the possibilities because yeah. what is this is so amazing. It's so much more than I ever dreamt that I could ever imagine creating or seeing. I mean, it's just it just really it leads you to the, it prepares your mind, I guess, for yeah. the what you're describing. So yeah, that's really cool. Very cool. I've never heard of a life experience coach. Is that something that you kind of coined the term or is that something else you've heard? It is. I I coined that. In fact, uh, it's a little early, but uh, I do have lifeexperiencecoach.com. Right now it redirects back to my national parks project page, Mm -hmm. but it will be part of the development of this, uh, uh, of this product and service for folks. So cool. You should totally do YouTube videos in your channel and you'll have your own TV show someday. <laughs> That'd be cool. I don't have a television, but I would watch uh, YouTube videos. <laughs> and that's the other thing, right? Is taking out of your life things that 
keep you from those experiences. So for example, which I had to be careful with this thing, right? Is the, the cell phone because I get sucked into the world of Facebook, which I need to be because that's where a lot of my con I work from home too, right? So that's yeah. a lot of the stuff I'm doing. But we don't have a television because it's just like a time suck. It just yeah. in what they found is that people who actually watch television during when they're watching television, they had the same brain waves as someone who's depressed. Uh, so it really speaks to a lot of what's on TV is depressing. So yeah, absolutely. So when, you know, and it's funny because um I people ask me, oh, who are you treating for the Super Bowl? I was like, the Super Bowl's coming. <laughs> you know, yeah. and honestly, I didn't even know it was playing until like Saturday. And I was like, I really have no desire. If anything, I think it's more cool to see whoever sings this, the national anthem in their halftime show. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and that's what we did. We Googled that and um, we did watch some of it, but it was, it was all on the computer. But it was just, yeah, you're just kind of, it, it doesn't compare, it doesn't, it doesn't, you can't compare nature and being with people and sharing experiences yeah. and hearing laughter and, or even it doesn't have to be the best of times, right? Just sharing with someone in their experience, period. Um, it's so amazing. You, you grow from that. I think that's what's cool too. You kind of become addicted to the feeling of feeling good. Yeah. No, I've, it's, it's happened 51 times. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. So when do you think you'll be launching your coaching? Uh, uh, I'm working on it slowly. So the, the, the main focus for over the past month or so has, has been getting back to doing work like I used to do in New York, which is uh, technology management consulting and uh, uh, work on the coaching business uh, on the side. So luckily, mm -hmm. the project that I'm going to be working on should be only about three quarter time. And that'll give me the extra time and, and mental energy to to work on the coaching business so there's it's there's a lot to do to get that up and running mm -hmm. um, the finalize the documentation my methodology to getting the website and some marketing materials together but i'm i'm willing to work with people like right now uh if they're interested in contacting me and all my contact information is on my website uh twitter email instagram facebook and the like um if, and i'll put a link to your website so Yes. Thank For you sure. so much. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, I, uh, I hear a lot or heard a lot on my trip and actually I still hear it when I tell people about it is that they, they don't think it's possible to do what I did. And I believe it is possible for most people, you know, to literally do what I did, but also to do something that they want to do and make a change. Um, too many people in that were in my similar situation, living in corporate, uh, working in corporate world, living in a big city, um, feel stuck. Like, well, this is this is what I went to school for, or this is what I should be doing, or uh, I have a, a wife, husband, two kids, and I can't make a change. Well, you can do whatever you want to do. What you choose to do is what defines you. So think about how you can incorporate experience into your life in a way that helps you get to the change you want you know, either slowly or all at, all at once. Um, I never thought I would to take a year off of work. My God, I barely took two weeks off when mm -hmm. I was working to take, to run in the, to go to all the national parks. You know, I like the national parks, but even before this, I was, I think I had seen four. So it wasn't again, a lifelong thing that my families went to the national park and that, but um, I decided that it was possible and I was going to make it happen. 
So I mm -hmm. planned it out, saved up money, and here I am talking to you, mm -hmm. 51 marathons later. <laughs> That's a pretty amazing feat. And so when you finish your 59th marathon and you, you're like stopped and you're like, hmm, well, that was cool. What's <laughs> going to be your next adventure? Have you thought about oh. that? I'm sure you have. Uh, Just a little. Not aggressively so. Uh, I do have some other goals. I'd like to run a 100-mile race, so that's definitely on the, on the list of things to do. Um, I'd like to, to develop public speaking um, uh, and more of a public speaking presence, so things like that. But in terms of athletics, I'm really trying to focus on finishing the 59. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good start. Well, I mean, I mean, that's going to be such a, I can't even imagine who you think you were 15, 18 months ago to the person you are now and then where you will even be after this yeah. next logistical hurdles and everything. Yeah. I mean, so what, it, how have you changed? How do you feel like Bill, Bill has actually changed? Uh, I think we probably touched on it and you've heard me as we've been talking along, um, just be more open to the possibility of, of things. Mm -hmm. When someone, when someone says something and I don't immediately re react like I can never do that, or that's not something that, that, uh, um, I ever thought was possible. I, I stop and think like, all right, well, maybe I don't want to do it or it's not something I'm interested in but it's possible. And that was, a, that was definitely a, a, a growth um, for me to go and be able to say that I did this and had not thought that all of those things that, that, I, that I've done were, were possible. They are possible. It's just mm -hmm. I had chosen not to do them, but I hadn't figured out why. And um, that's helped me sort of work through, you know, being able to embrace that more than I had in the past. So that's been good. Um, it's uh, recognizing the importance of nature we talked about um, mm -hmm. and having, having that incorporated in my life. So I've moved to Denver. So that was one of the things was, uh, regardless of this project, I was going to get to a place where I had easier access to uh, outdoor space. Mm -hmm. There was a, one little anecdote that I have. I lived in Long Island City in New York, which is um, uh, in Queens, right over the East River, roughly from the UN. And I would have to walk to the subway every morning to take it into the office. And there a, was a little public, well, I guess the, I, I thought it was a public garden, a small area in between two uh, small buildings that they had, that people had created this wonderful green space and there was a small bench in there. And when I say this is tiny, it's a tiny little space. And I swear to you, no matter how many times I walked past that, it was locked. Mm. I was like, they're locking up the outdoors. <laughs> I want to touch a tree. Um, mm. and, and that just made me realize that I needed to have access to that more. Um, which, is, which is interesting, you know, because you talk about you were craving touching nature, right? Mm -hmm. So you created, we live in this, the cement world and all the, which we obviously need housing and places to live and yeah, work yeah. or whatever. But so we need, you know, I think people take for granted mother nature, right? We, yeah. we take for granted the environmental 
impact that we have as humans, right? So that kind of brings us full circle to a plant-based diet, not only fueled your body well, to allow you to be an extreme, amazing athlete, to do these things that you had never done before, but also <clears throat> your, the way you're eating has the least environmental impact, right? So you're, you're also um, supporting the very thing that your body, your spirit, your soul was craving, yeah. So it's very interesting how you see that in, you know, that intertwined mm -hmm. um, experience. And that's kind of what I found. The more I become, <clears throat> when I became plant-based, like literally overnight, six years mm -hmm. ago, um, you sit back and you're like, you really begin to be open to the message. And the message was always there. But like you said, you were choosing not to listen or choosing not to do it or have other thoughts or, but it makes you more open-minded you know, I, I tend to be conservative in my beliefs and my morals and whatever, but I'm also very open to what people would consider a liberal environmental component. It's like, we have to, we have to protect the environment that we're living in. I want my children to experience a tree in the Grand Canyon and those things, then what, how I'm eating is a very big impact of that. So yeah. it's just, and then of course, you know, other things you talk about, but that really is, it's interesting how it's a first full circle thing, right? One thing's yeah. led to another. So yeah, very cool. If I had really put that together. I went vegan initially for performance reasons. Mm. It, it was because I felt better and I ran better. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, I, I tell people that it's, I, I like to take care of my insides too. So, you know, mm -hmm. all of your, or of your organs work better um, right. on, on a plant-based diet. But uh, yeah, I did it for performance reasons. And then all of the rest of the things you learn about, the effect of how you're eating on the, on the planet and how I eat now makes, makes sense. It is, it right. is in alignment, but that wasn't the original, the original push. I wasn't the ethical vegan or the, the environmental vegan. I was, mm -hmm. wow, I can run faster and recover faster. Well, I'm going to keep doing this, you know? Right. But it's, see, that was the same reason too. So I had patients that got better on a plant-based diet. And as I was doing the research for the science for health, mm -hmm. I switched my diet not only for myself, but I wanted, I needed to be, consistent with my message. So if I'm going to share this message with a patient, you need to do this plant-based diet. Well, do you eat a plant-based diet, Dr. Marvis? Right. Well, yes, I do. You know, I can't, I can't lie. I'm not going to be able, plus I'm like, you're exactly right. You know, your body's going to run more efficiently on plants. And Dr. Kim Williams came up with the idea. He goes, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want it to be my fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm like, exactly right. I don't, if I die, I die, but I just don't want it to be because I've chosen to make you know, food, my, mm -hmm. you know, silent killer. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Very cool. All right. Well, is there anything else, Bill, that you'd like to share with the audience? Cause I know you need to get on the road. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to a wedding in Phoenix so, and I'm driving and I'm doing, I'm doing this trip over about six days and I'm going to stop um, at on the way there, I think I'm going to stop in Monument Valley and Valley of the Gods in Utah. Oh. And camp for a night and do uh, some running there. And then on the way back, I may hit Canyonlands National Park again because that was one of my favorites. So, uh, yeah, I'll be leaving pretty soon. But I got to get back out in nature. Um, cool. So I yeah. literally live, yeah, I, I, we chose where we live here outside Seattle. We're not in Seattle. So we're over the lake and we're in a small town. Well, it's, it's, it's a suburb, but there's literally 
I think there's 30,000 acres. Like I can, I'm going to walk from here when we're done. I'm going to go run my trail. It's like, literally I can see the trailhead waterfalls, creeks up and down. Um, and I'm just like you talking about, I was like, yeah, I gotta go run. So, you know, that there's a 24 hour gym too here, but mm -mm. unless it's just downpouring and I'm like afraid I'd slide down the mud hill. (laughs) Yeah. Very strong possibility in, I'm not the most sure-footed individual. Um, you know, that's exactly right, right? You, you know, and I see here water running and the waterfall. It's um, you crave it for your soul, soul yeah. food, soul food. Yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, how to be healthy. So yeah. I think appropriate for this podcast in and uh, how to health. How to health? Yeah. No, I even have. Um, I just um, interviewed. I, I so obviously as a physician, I'm I'm abreast of many things in health, including antibiotic resistance. I know this is kind of an interesting topic to bring out at the end of this conversation, but I interviewed a gentleman from the CDC. He's an economist, actually. It's very fascinating. Hmm. Um, But he had written about how to help um, this antibiotic resistance. He was talking about the economies that we could do, like you know, we need to eat less meat. And he was saying, you know, make it more expensive for animal... um, people who raise animals for consumption mm-hmm. to, to use antibiotics in animal agriculture, make it more expensive. So they'll use less. And so we'll, we won't be consuming people who consume animal products that have that exposure. By the way, people, if you're listening, 80% of um, antibiotics in the United States is used in animals, non-humans. <laughs> but, yeah. was, but I brought them on because I thought, what an interesting concept that we haven't looked at is what are what are antibiotics doing to our health right Right. so i don't have necessarily plant-based folks on here but there's so many parts to our in the last 80 years that we've seen so many dramatic changes that we do need to be very mindful and kind of go back to where we like our grandparents did right and focus on they didn't have television they didn't they were outside doing work and being with family and they didn't have the money to spend on extravagant gifts. They didn't have Amazon delivering. (laughs) Moving, moving regularly, uh, even, you know, low intensity, but for, for longer durations and eating simply. um, It's cheaper. It's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing, I mean, nothing could have such a dramatic impact on your wallet if you switch to a plant-based diet like literally overnight when we went plant-based four hundred dollars saved month saved mm-hmm. that's like a raise people but yeah, and, yeah. and let me tell you you can beans can fill up boys yeah yeah lord help me yeah, yeah. They, I, <laughs> I, now that i have an instant pot i transitioned from canned beans which are perfectly fine if you buy the no salt kind mm-hmm. great you know always ate them to dried stuff because i can cook it fast in the instant you know instant. right so and it's, I mean, you get like five pound bag of beans for four bucks. It's kind of, right. really? And that'll that last forever. Yeah. Yeah. No, very cool. All right, Sir Bill, I can't wait to see what happens next year. And let's see where I am next year. Maybe I can get the yeah. husband and I, we might maybe we trip in Alaska. We I'm haven't been to Alaska. Alaska. Well, r- regardless, um, you're going to be down here in Colorado soon. So we're going to go yes. for a run. Yes. And so that'd be January. My daughter's getting married and I'm so old. Though. I just told you that we weren't old, but I feel really old. So I think about that. I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) I burned something that's getting married. Oh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe even this summer we'll see. Maybe in Colorado. So 
We're gonna I, do. We're, we're gonna oh, do we're totally meet running. up. We're gonna oh. do some trail running. Dude, I still like I, I get my butt. I, mean, I can't do no twenty six miles, but no, I'll try my okay. best. That's okay. <laughs> it, oh, and so I, I guess I'm going to give people a last a last uh, message Bit. just real briefly, um, and it's it's to what you just sort of alluded to. A lot of people see what I've done and are intimidated by it, mm. and I hope that I don't come off as intimidating or. Yeah come off as, as, a, as a braggart to saying, oh, I ran 26 minutes. Not at all. I, but what I want people to recognize is that you need to start where you are mm-hmm. and, and do it slowly. So mm-hmm. if, and, and I use the national parks as an example, but it really is appropriate for wherever you are and, and whatever, whatever natural space is close by. But if you're a national park person who normally drives through and takes a picture out the window, well, then you should stop. And then if you're normal, the person that stops, then go for a little hike on one of the trails. If you're a normal person that that hikes a mile or two, do three or four and just see how much different you feel and how much different the experience is as you're adding on a little bit more that may be outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And that experience, just that little experience, again, doesn't have to be big, makes you go, well, well, next time I stop at a national park, I'm going to go into going a little further and I'm not, maybe I'm going to buy a trail map and I'm going to go to an intersection of two trails and then come back. Right. And that might be, be a big deal, but it makes you go, well, I've done that. Now what can I do next? And it just, it just grows from there. So you know, start, with, start where you are, take little steps, but incorporate the you know, experiences in those steps and uh, you'll see where you can go. Absolutely. You should start your blog. <laughs> No, I'm serious. I've been I've been writing a little bit. I just put out a blog um, post recently about an experience in uh, Crater Lake National Park, which mm-hmm. uh, I felt good about. But um, uh, I I agree, and I need to spend some more time on that. Um, I honestly have been spending a lot of time interviewing and doing some of the. Uh, who needs things. money? I know. We do live in the world where you can't just live in a van 24 7, 365. Um, you and, can, but you're going to run well, out of friends eventually. <laughs> friends and, and money and yeah. Um, right. Anything's possible. That's true. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I want to be able to, to, work on on reaching these goals that I've set for myself. And some of that involves having the financial uh, capability to do that. So cool. Very cool. All right, sir. Well, that was awesome. And thank you so much for sharing your thanks for having me on again. Oh, we'll have you on again. You're going to be my first, you know, I've had a few on twice. Of course, Anthony, I have Anthony on all the time. Um, which I need to call him and get him up for another Mindset Monday. But yeah, I just had a friend, um, we've been friends for a long time, um, Tom Venuto, who he just did, he was a bodybuilder, like a natural mm-hmm. bodybuilder. He did the most of the Pacific Crest Trail, um, mm-hmm. but the fires knocked him out of it last year. But yeah, he's, yeah. he's going to go back later this summer and finish the opposite direction. So, so, so I, again, another last point, but someone who does that, I am, I'm more impressed by someone who does that self-supported through a Pacific Crest Trail or Appalachian Trail than I am with what I've done. Like a marathon a week, that's easy. What these, these people do, men and women, it, is- It's 20, 25 miles every single yeah. day. Yeah. And you're yeah. out days at, 
Yeah, that's <laughs> he, that's impressive. That would not, be a challenge for me. You know what's funny? He's not plant-based, but when I asked him what he ate, it was all plants. <laughs> yeah, because you can't keep a slide, side of meat meat in your pocket, right? Unless it's right. jerky, and then it, that just tastes terrible. Well, and it takes so much energy to digest yeah. the meat. So, But yeah, absolutely. Pretty that's, interesting. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. All right, my friend. We'll hopefully see you soon in person. You got it. Thanks so all much. Right. Take care and have a safe trip. Thanks. Bye.